You're listening to St. Pius X Catholic Church in Lafayette, Louisiana. Thank you for joining us. For the last few weeks, we have been studying the parts of the Mass throughout the Advent season. Uh, there are four Sundays in Advent, and there are four major parts of the Mass. And so Father Poirier and I decided that it would be a good idea as we begin the Eucharistic revival uh, that the bishops have asked us to do. And our bishop came and we had a holy hour before the, uh, before the 5 p.m. Mass on that first Sunday of Advent, uh, that we would preach about the parts of the Mass and what we're doing when we come. Because when we have ritualistic worship, which is what we as Catholics do, uh, instituted by Christ, of course, the ritual that he taught us and the Bible teaches us, uh, sometimes we as human beings, fallen human beings, can fall into just the habit of doing something, not really thinking about it, uh, and then not entering into uh, the movements of prayer that we're supposed to have. So the first weekend, we talked about the introductory rites, and before that, though, we do something before we come to Mass, and that is hopefully to be properly disposed. And being properly disposed requires humility. I use that first reading of the first Sunday of Advent to kind of put us in the mood where it talks about the mountain of the Lord, and it will be above all other mountains. And, it, and Isaiah's reading, it says, all nations shall stream toward it, Many peoples will come and say, come, let us climb the Lord's mountain to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may instruct us in his ways and we may walk in his paths. And so when we come to church, we're reminded that we're coming to the Lord's house and we think of the mountaintop as something that's higher than we are right now. And we think of, when we think of heaven, right? The heavens, the heavenly, the higher, we always say, you know, we're going up to heaven. We never say we're going down to heaven, right? And so we think of the higher, bringing our fallen nature, our lower nature, up to the nature that was originally intended by God in our creation uh, to live without sin, to live in goodness. And so hopefully we come into the church, we remember our baptism with the holy water and, of course, with our formal greeting and the sign of the cross, that we were baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It comes, of course, from Matthew's great commission of the apostles. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them everything I have commanded you. Know that I will be with you until the end of time. And so we come in and we make that remembrance of baptism, usually with the holy water fountain, then we genuflect or bow before God himself in the tabernacle. Uh, this is the house of God. He is here present. We'll talk about that in just a moment as we move into the liturgy of the Eucharist. But we bend the knee before the Lord our Maker, as St. Paul says in Psalm 95 says in Scripture, or we bow down before him. So we bow or we genuflect when we come into church, recognizing the sacred place where we are. At that point, we then begin the Mass, usually a song. We're going to talk about music next week a little bit. But we begin with the penitential rite, huh? And we hear today in our gospel reading about preparing the way of the Lord. And that's precisely what we do at Mass. We prepare the way of the Lord by the penitential rite. Let us call to mind our sins and ask for God's mercy. So we acknowledge that we are sinners. 
So in this, there are two senses of humility that we have to have to come to Mass. One is that we need to be instructed, huh? We need to be instructed. We come recognizing that we don't know everything. We need to learn. And then second, that we're sinners, that we fail, and that we need God's help. So we prepare the way of the Lord by getting rid of the bad, the sins, and we ask for God's mercy. So a couple of ways we do that, we do what's called the confidior. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned. Or in the old days, it was mea copa, mea copa, mea maxima copa, huh? And so we acknowledge our sinfulness, and then we give glory to God for loving us while we were yet still sinners in the Gloria. We don't do that during Advent and Lent because we're anticipating the glory to come. It's kind of a, I don't want to say a penance so much as it's a recognition of where we're supposed to be spiritually. And then we move into the Liturgy of the Word, as I mentioned last week, of course, usually an Old Testament reading, Psalm, New Testament reading of the Gospel. For the Scripture, I think the biggest point that I wanted to make last week was that when we hear the Scripture reading and the Liturgy of the Word, we are not basically an observer of a story written about someone else. In other words, we're not just hearing a story or hearing about Christ. We are hearing from Him directly in His inspired Word. He is talking to each and every one of us in the readings, which is why we do them at the pulpit. It is God speaking to us. And in our preparation, it's always good to maybe take a look at the readings before we come, uh, to maybe look at the context because they're intended to be snippets of different things that the church asks us to emphasize at different times of the year in our lectionary. And so I usually try to put it in context in the homily. Uh, but for us to hear God's word directly, whether it's reading maybe the few paragraphs before, or the few paragraphs after the reading will help us to understand more fully what God is trying to instruct us. And so we're instructed in the liturgy of the word. And then we hear the homily. Uh, and then the homily, I kind of jokingly, half jokingly say, you know, some priests are better preachers than others. I get that. You know, I have good days and I have bad days. I get that. You know, but in the work of the Holy Spirit, we have to remember that maybe something that doesn't speak as much to you is speaking to someone next to you. Can't tell you how many times I've not been happy with a homily that I've presented. When I say not happy, I just, I could have done better, could have been better prepared, could have whatever. This didn't come out exactly the way I wanted it to come out. And someone will come up to me after Mass and just say, you know, Father, when you said this, that really helped me. I want to tell you that that hit a chord with me. So I think sometimes we always have to remember that the working within our church isn't always directly for us. Sometimes it's for someone else. In our society today, I think we're always focused on me. It might be good to maybe step back and wonder, you know, how does it help someone else sometimes and not worry about me, which is what Christ did. So we hear the liturgy of the word, and then we move to what we're going to talk about primarily today, the liturgy of the Eucharist. The liturgy of the Eucharist begins with the offertory. Now the offertory, we kind of use that as a halftime break in today's mass. You know, if got a, we forgot to go before we came, or the kids, you know, kind of need something, go take a bathroom break, whatever. Uh, but there's an actual movement to that, and that is the beginning of us giving an offering to God. And we offer him the gifts 
that he has already given to us, the bread and the wine. And then, of course, we have the offertory. Some people call it a collection. I don't like that word too much. I prefer, say, offering. It's our offering. You know, each year, I mentioned that uh, our state of the parish homily uh, publish the, uh, I think it's eight different things that we should look at in our offering. Uh, you know, it should be generous. It should be thoughtful. It should not be arbitrary. It should not be perfunctory. Um, that it should be commensurate with the blessings that God has given uh, to us. Uh, all those things that we take into account in making our offering. I'll readily tell you, as I have in the past, uh, having spent many years in the pews myself, that uh, I would oftentimes, you know, when I came, I'd, you know, I was young and single, had stuff to do, you know. I probably sat in the old church, what would be the equivalent of, oh, I don't want to point anywhere, somewhere near the door. And then when the offertory plate would come around, I'd, I'd find a buck, crumple it up and, and throw it in, you know, just so that I could say that I put something in the offertory basket. And, and I began to realize I can do better than that. And so then I made a deal with myself, whatever was the biggest bill in my wallet, that's what I was putting in. And so some Sundays I forgot to prepare and I'd come I was like, oh, please, dear Lord, don't let it be a hundred, you know. <laughs> and then I decided envelopes were the way to go, you know, slow and steady and thoughtful and those kind of things. But the offertory is our offering to God of the blessings he's given to us. So it's not just some kind of functional part of the mass where we try to get a family to bring the gifts up. It's a gift from the congregation, the body of Christ to him, for him to take with those gifts and for it to become the most extraordinary gift of all, the gift of Christ. And so when the gifts are received, I do the prayers of preparation. Blessed are you, Lord, God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you, fruit of the earth and work of human hands, it will become for us the bread of life. So he's taking our meager gifts and making them the bread of life, and of course our spiritual drink in his blood. And you guys don't usually hear that on a Sunday. We do it during the daily mass. Usually there's music playing, but that's what I pray and say, blessed be God forever. And then we give a prayer of thanksgiving, what Eucharist means. The Lord be with you and your spirit lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. And then we give thanks to God for what he's about to do, to love us while we're still sinners and to give us this beautiful gift together. And then we go into the Eucharistic prayer which everybody in their minds prays is Eucharistic prayer two, huh? We all pray for two. That's a short one, by the way. You know, three is okay. One's fun. Actually, one's quite beautiful. But we have the Eucharistic prayer, and it has many parts to it that are in each and every one. It's called the, um, they're called, I forgot, the holy, holy, holy. We, we praise God in his holiness. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. So we're saying God is here and blessed is he who comes. And then we bring in the Eucharistic prayer. So we have the epiclesis, the institution narratives, the amnesis, the oblation or offering or anaphora, intercessions and doxology. I have to look down for those because I had to memorize them in the seminary and you know, it's been 20 years, so I kind of had to look that, but they're really, you all know the words by heart. You know, the, the epiclesis, the calling down of the Holy Spirit to make the gifts holy. Make holy, therefore, these gifts we pray by standing down your spirit upon them. And then we have the institution narrative, 
with the words of Christ himself, which we are not at liberty to change, or the theology which they represent. Take this, all of you, and eat of it. Do this in remembrance of me. Those words from the gospel readings that tell us that this is my body, this is my blood, is, not represents, not a symbol of it, this is. And that's all very much confirmed in the bread of life course, bread of life discourse in John 6. My flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. A lot of people walked away from that, saying this teaching is hard. This teaching is hard. And they walked away. Jesus didn't chase them. He didn't clarify. He didn't do anything other than ask the apostles, are you guys leaving me too? And Peter says his brilliant and beautiful answer, you know, Lord, where are we going to go? You've got the words of eternal life. And so we have the institution narrative at that point. The body and blood of Christ is made present in the one sacrifice of the cross, which sometimes Catholics are asked about a lot. Jesus only had one sacrifice. It says that in the Bible. That would be true. We are not doing multiple sacrifices. Jesus is not hanging on the cross in his human nature today. What we're doing is making present in his divine nature the one sacrifice for us all. That's something, by the way, that the Hebrews did in the Passover. They make present the saving power of God in the Passover when they celebrate it. We celebrate the saving power of God being made present in Christ himself. That's what we call the Jewish people, our forefathers in faith, and have great respect for them. And so we have the institution, the Christ being made present, the amnesis, which is remembering his death, his resurrection, the paschal mystery, the oblation or the anaphora. We pray God that he make of us an offering to him as the body of Christ, as being altar Christus, so to speak, little Christus. We pray intercessions for the dead, the peace and salvation of the world. And then we do the doxology through him, with him, and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours. Might as well say, the hymn is Jesus. So we could put in there, through Jesus, with Jesus, and in Jesus, O God, Almighty Father. And when we do that, what we're saying is that Christ, as we hold up the elements, the body and blood of Christ, is that he is the mediator between us and God. He is the one that bridges the gap, the chasm between us and God. In the old days, the priest would offer mass, what's called ad orientum which means to the east in Latin. And a lot of people heard, particularly as a young priest, you know, say, hey, you remember when the priest used to offer mass with his back to the congregation? I'd say no. I'd say, I'm just old enough to remember a few Vatican II things, you know, just a few of the old stuff. But they would say, yeah, the priest would offer mass with his back to the people. I said, no, he didn't. Well, yeah, well, you, no, he didn't. Well, yes, he did. I was there. I saw it. No, he, he never offered mass with his back to the people. What he did is he offered mass facing God. And so what the movement is supposed to be in a visual way is that churches were built ad orientum to the east. And so the east would be on the backside. That's where God is. The rising sun would be some of the natural imagery. And the priest would stand on this side of the altar and then he would be offering God. There would be the body of Christ, the priest, Jesus himself just instituted. 
And we're looking at God saying, through him, with him, and in him, O God, Almighty Father, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. And the congregation says, amen. I believe. I believe. So it was never back to the people. It was everyone facing God and us giving glory to him for the gift of his son and his current saving power being made present in the Eucharist. And at that point, as I said, that great gift of the Eucharist is now present in our church, made present for us to receive. And we then pray the Our Father, the perfect prayer that Jesus taught us. And it sums up every prayer we can possibly have, can come under one of those seven parts of the Our Father. I promise you, I've tried to trick some of the old theologians. Every single one can come under there that's appropriate. So that beautiful and brilliant prayer that Jesus taught us. We then do the sign of peace, preparing ourselves to receive communion, following the scripture mandate of making peace with your brother before approaching the altar. And in that, we don't do that during Advent and Lent as a sign of we are anticipating or waiting for peace. And so there's a certain uh, symbolism. It's an optional part of the Mass that we we're waiting for Christ. And then we have the Lamb of God before we receive communion. And that is, you know, Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. The kind of mercy, it's not the forgiveness of sins, but the raising up of our nature. In other words, it's the kind of mercy where we, you know, when kids play mercy, I don't know if y'all ever seen that, where they take hands and they push each other back and forth, and one of them goes way down and he loses. And in order to lose, he says, mercy, and which means let up, let up. That's the mercy we're praying for in the Lamb of God. Let up, help us to get out of our fallen nature and get into true goodness and then true peace at the end of the prayer. And then we have the call to communion. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. As Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. That part of the mass was changed, right? About 10 years ago, maybe a little longer with the new rite. It used to be, um, Lord, I am not worthy to receive you, but only say the word and I shall be healed. The enter under my roof is from the gospel reading of the centurion, the man whose daughter was sick. He came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, you're an important guy. You're a busy man. You say this and it happens. I do that in my life. You don't even have to come to heal my daughter. And Jesus said, no faith have I ever seen. Reminds us that it takes great faith to believe in the Eucharist. And if we go back, as I said, to the bread of life discourse, this is a hard teaching and many people walk away. To believe that the bread and the wine become a body and the blood of Christ is an act of faith. Sometimes we understand it and embrace it. Some come to it over time. In the end, if we only believe because Jesus says we should believe, that's good enough. That's good enough. It is a working of grace that we're able to have a deeper understanding. But it is true, and they are the words of Christ, and we're just not at liberty to change the words of Christ. So we go through this part of the Mass to receive the beautiful gift of the body of Christ, and then we come forward for communion. We'll stop there, and we'll look at next week, what does our worship call for after that? We have a brief concluding rite, and then there are a few summary things I'd like to talk about about the Mass. But in the end, when we come to Mass, and we receive communion, it's only the beginning of our worship. It's only the beginning of our worship for the week. 
Because what we're called to do is to take that grace, take that strength for weak knees, as we heard about in our first reading today, to have a firm heart. We want to make sure that we go out and we proclaim the gospel to others in the lives that we lead. So we don't just leave Christ in the church. We're strengthened to live his life outside of it. And so let's make that our prayer as we think of the coming of Christ at Christmas, the first coming. And we also celebrate during Advent the second coming. We also think to the future when everything is put back together again, that we don't forget what I'll call the coming 1.5. He is here. He is with us. He promised he'd be with us until the end of time. He is here to strengthen us. He is here to give us the ability to walk in his ways. Let's always cherish that gift and let's always cooperate with it to live the life along the path that he leads us.